I can only imagine. Mercy me. They are previewing their movie this Friday. If we get a good response and you want to go see the movie Mercy Me, I've read that it's one guy quoted it's the best Christian movie he ever has seen. I go, really? That's a high endorsement. <laughs> so, but see Lori afterwards, and uh, uh, we will consider uh, a Friday night uh, movie night with the permission of the Blakeleys. <laughs> so uh, we will do that. This morning we're in uh, Psalm 8. As we have been going through the book of Samuel, last week we looked at David's prayer of thanksgiving in 2 Samuel 7, but we're trying to take uh, the early books of the Bible in chronological order. And we will transition into First Chronicles uh, probably in a, in a few weeks because uh, some of the v events are similar. But this morning we're going to do, do Psalm 8 and we're not sure of the chronological time period of Psalm 8, but it's a psalm of praise. And Psalm 8 speaks of creation. It is thought that David wrote Psalm 8 when he was watching over his father's sheep um, as a young man out in the wilderness. As a young man forming his uh, thoughts and concepts of God, David would spend countless hours considering God's creation. He was out in the fields as a shepherd. David has a keen sense of who God is as creator. And he would come to this awareness of God by just looking up at the heavens, the starry nights, you know, and just gazing and pondering. David would go on and invent musical instruments. And David would, uh, know, is known as a musician, and he would pass hours away uh, probably playing some of these instruments in solitude, but playing them to the sheep. <laughs> David also learned how to sling a stone with his sling and become very accurate with that uh, sling. And he would do this protecting the sheep from uh, their predators. But David, he's out in solitude. And his re interaction with people is very minimal. But he's in constant fellowship with God. And God uses this time in David's life as a lonely shepherd to tutor David. Expose David to his mighty works of creation. Expose David basically to the universe that God has created. And Psalm 8 is about God the creator. So let's look at Psalm 8. O Lord, our God, 
How excellent is your name in all the earth. Who have set your glory above the heavens. And out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have ordained strength because of your enemies. That you may silence the enemy and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep. And oxen, even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, they that pass through the paths of the seas. O Lord, our God, how excellent is your name in all the earth. And David, again, is thought to have written this as a shepherd. But David comes to an understanding that God's kabod, God's glory is above the heavens, above the stars, above the planets. And David receives revelation from God, from God's Spirit, as he looks upon the starry night that he's out there uh, sleeping under. God will teach David of his creation as David lays there, you know, passing away the hours, watching over sheep in the night in the wilderness. Verse 1, David declares, God, you have set your glory above the heavens, beyond the stars and the planets. David begins to understand, even without a telescope, <laughs> the vastness of the universe. The vastness of the heavens. Lord, your stars declare your glory. I think sometimes you city folks, I live out in the country, you miss the beauty of evenings and starry skies. And we have children today that are raised in inner cities who have never seen stars because of all the artificial light that is around them. To my surprise, a while back, I spoke with a man, and he was an intelligent man, who in his, he's in his 50s, probably his late 50s, that did not realize the moon orbits the earth during daylight hours also. He thought the moon only came up at night. I go, wow, really? <laughs> How can that be? Something as large as our moon and you only think it comes out at night. But our world, our universe is extremely large. Our sun is 93 million miles from Earth. Now, I'm going to give you a little scale of representation here. Allow one sheet of paper to represent that distance from the earth to the sun. 93 million miles 
represented by a three thousandth of an inch of sheet of paper. Our nearest star, Alpha Centauri, you would need a stack of paper 71 feet high. Just try to contemplate that for a moment. But from the Earth to the edge of our Milky Way system, you would need a stack of paper 310 miles high. That's a stack of paper roughly from Mobile to Huntsville. That's a big stack of paper. Now, this is an old calculation because the Earth, from the Earth to the edge of our universe, far as other, you know, Hubble can expand and so forth, and our Earth is thought to be expanding, by the way, uh, you would need a stack of paper 30 million miles high just to span our known universe. And David, as a shepherd boy, he's got a grip on the fact that God is above and beyond what he can see, above and beyond his comprehension. In that calculation I gave you, one inch of stacked paper represents two billion miles. Yet there's 30 million miles times 63,000 inches per mile. The numbers get astronomical. Moving on. I watch those science channels and I get this stuff, so hey, leave me alone. In verse 2, David declares, God creates strength from the praise that comes from little children. If you remember, the disciples would uh, chastise the mothers that brought their little children for Jesus to touch and to bless. And yet God says he creates strength from the praise that comes from little children. Many times when Jesus would perform miracles, he would do it in a, a setting where there were families and so forth. And these little children would begin to cry out, Hosanna, Hosanna. Even a child could recognize the awesome power that Jesus had. And they would praise God for his mighty works. In verses 3 and 4, David is amazed again at the creation of the heavens or space, the sun, the moon, the stars, the works of God's fingers. And David asks, what is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that God has fellowship with him. Consider that. Just consider. Who are you and I that God bothers to have fellowship with us. It's an awesome thought. Verse 5 gives us kind of a scale of the food chain. <laughs> of where man fits into creation. We mankind 
in the book of Genesis are the top of God's creation. But in the book of Genesis, it doesn't start from the very beginning, beginning, because already in the book of Genesis, before the creation of the world and man and all of this, angels have already been created. And Satan and the third of the evil angels have already been cast out of heaven. And we know that Satan, in the form of a serpent, convinces Eve to eat of the tree of knowledge, where she will know the difference between good and bad. And she gives to Adam, and Adam eats. And therefore, sin and death enter into the human race. Again, in this creation week, Genesis, when man is created, we already have angels on the scene. And we read here that man was created a little lower than the angels. Yet in 1 Corinthians, we read in uh, chapter 6, verse 3, that we will judge angels created below them, but we will judge them. Now, some evil angels have already been cast into Hades or Sheol, and they are awaiting judgment. But we as believers will have a role in judging of angels. Now, some think that it only pertains to evil angels or fallen angels. And I say to that, perhaps, maybe. But if you accept that we have guardian angels, and I believe we do, who is better to judge a guardian angel than the one that has been protected? Most of the youth will tell their angels where they messed up and where they didn't. You didn't protect me there in that situation. And some of the angels will say, hey, I was already working overtime with you. And I think that's what my angel perhaps will say to me. I had to work overtime with you, Don. But in Second Peter 2, 4, for if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. Peter, he openly speaks of angels who sinned. In my mind, some of the angels it's speaking of who sided with Satan was their sin. But then we have Jesus. When he went to the area of the Gadarenes and he found a couple demon-possessed fellows there and Jesus asked, who are you? And they said, we're legion, thousands. We have thousands of angels with our demons within us. And they asked Jesus, can we enter the pigs? God has dominion over all the angels. And Jesus allowed it. Jesus said, okay, and they run off the cliff and drown. But anyway, 
in verse 6 of Psalms 8, it gives us mankind our place of order, not only among angels, but of the beast of the field. It says sheep, oxen, and in parentheses I put cows, birds of the air, fish of the sea. And we're not necessarily to conquer these animals, but we're to live in harmony with these animals. They are a food supply. And having a few cows, I understand animals to a degree. Several years back, one of my young heifers was having a difficult time having her first calf. That's when you have to watch a new heifer is in that first calf. Because if they have that first calf, okay, then the rest of the calves will, you know, throughout her life will usually be okay. But this mama cow, she would lie down, have contractions, push, and this calf is partially born but not all the way. I had a friend over who is a cattleman, and we would try to approach this cow to help her, you know, to help this cow have her baby. And she would see us coming. She would struggle to her feet and kind of move away. And so we kind of let her do that. But this went on. But after a while, this cow was convinced that we weren't there to hurt her, but to help her. And we ended up pulling out this calf with a winch-type device that you actually jack the calf out. And she wouldn't do that till she understood we were trying to help her. And then she calmed down and allowed us to help. This applies to all animals in my vast experience, <laughs> except for sheep. Sheep do not fit in this category. Cows, they can be honorary. They can be dangerous because they're so big. Recently, about two weeks ago, it was time for me to send home the rented bull. I managed to get a portable corral around him and I called the owner and I said, come pick up your beast. <laughs> All right. The owner gets there. We go out to the corral. There's no bull in the corral. I had lured him in with sweet feet. He had lifted the corral, which is several hundred pounds, went under it, and it never came apart. But there was no, no bull in the corral. Oh, now, now the fun begins. This bull was so strong, and now he doesn't want to do anything that we're trying to get him to do. He's not in what we would call an agreeable mood. And to get him into a trailer, a cattle trailer, is going to be fun. He was snorting. He was pawing the ground, doing all the things a bull would do. But eventually, patience won out, and we managed to get him in a trailer. But that bull never realized his strength. 
nor his size. And therefore, we will able to corral him and get him into a trailer. That's cows. Back to sheep. Having worked with some animals in my life, a few years back I came across a sheep that had managed to get his head stuck in a fence, one of these little square panel fences. And I go, oh, that poor lamb. I go up to try to help this sheep. He only buries his head deeper. And into the fence. I grabbed this sheep by his fur. They got a lot of fur. (laughs) And had to physically drag him out of the fence. Pull him backwards. This sheep never had enough sense to recognize I was trying to help it. Now, let me put that in perspective. (laughs) I have rescued wild buck deer tangled in a barbed wire fence, and that deer calmed down because he knew I was trying to help it. I've had birds fly down our chimney at our house, get in the fireplace, and you hear them fluttering around. Reach in there, take them, throw them out, and they fly away peacefully, realizing you're trying to help them. We once had a hummingbird trapped in our garage with the garage door wide open, but he kept trying to hit the window and fly out the window. Eventually, that hummingbird flew out. I have captured skunks, raccoons, groundhogs, all sorts of wild little critters and they submit to you. But a lamb, a sheep, it was the most unwilling beast I've ever dealt with. But sheep brought me a new understanding as to why our Lord refers to us, his people, as sheep. We, too, have a complete lack of understanding when God is trying to help us. David will go on to be Israel's greatest earthly king ever. But David learned to be a shepherd, to deal with sheep out in the wilderness alone with them. David had the awesome responsibility to protect and care for animals that, in my humble opinion, are the dumbest of all animals. David was a shepherd. If you ever have talked to shepherds or read anything about shepherds, you know that sheep will have a tendency to wander off sometimes and get into trouble. And a shepherd will sometimes physically break the leg of a sheep where he cannot wander off to be devoured by a wolf or something. And that shepherd then must carry that sheep everywhere it needs to go until the leg heals and then they learn. 
you have to be careful with sheep around flowing water, like a little creek or a stream, because their furry little coats will cause them to drown if they try to cross a creek. They will actually drown, but yet they will still walk in to flowing water. Their furry little coats also give insects, ticks, and other little critters a good home. So you have to anoint your sheep with oil, a bug preventer, okay? And a sheep will follow another sheep that is trained, known as the scapegoat. They will follow that other sheep to their own destruction, never doubting where that sheep has taken us. I say all of this to remind us our Lord Jesus refers to himself as the good shepherd. What does that make us? Sheep. And we are the sheep of his pasture. We have a great shepherd. Amen. Let me, let me get you a stand. We'll close in prayer.